Murder by Experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, the noted mystery writer, Brett Halliday. Mr. Halliday is creator of the world-famous detective character, Michael Shane, author of 25 mystery novels, and whose latest work, This Is It, Michael Shane, has just been published. Good evening. This is Brett Halliday. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective story writers. Tonight, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist Ursula Curtis. From the thousands of thrillers she has read and heard, Miss Curtis has selected a fast-moving, intriguing story of a man seeking to use the elements to cover murder, as written by that master of suspense, Harold Swanton. And now we present... Lawson Zerby in Conspiracy. So I'm a murderer. So people look at my picture in the papers and point at it and shudder. I wonder how many of them are entitled to do that. I wonder how many of them are murderers too, in their minds with only the law between their hands and the throat of someone they hate. You take a city, see? A city full of people, the pious and the profane, the innocent and guilty, with their loves and hates, their pride and avarice and jealousy. And in that city, a pronouncement is made that on this date, between this hour and that one, there is no law, no retribution, that the crime of murder will go unpunished. How many of them would stand still? How many? Would you? It sounds like a philosophical problem. But it happened. The city was Greendale, Oregon. And the thing that set it free from the law for 24 hours was the Columbia River. Oregon Times, Kennecott speaking. Joe, this is Flournoy. Oh, yeah, Chief. Just got a report from the sheriff. It's getting tough out on the 7th Street levee. Yeah, I just heard the news over the radio. If they're the busts through, they'll start looking for Greendale somewhere off the coast of Japan. But they got the army out there. I thought they'd take care... and ground, Joe. The levee might hold another hour, maybe more, but you'll go tonight, and I want you there when it happens. Uh, you're liable to pick me up off the coast of Japan. I'll send a boat after you, sweetheart, but phone that story in first. You know, color stuff. I was there. I saw it happen. Hot coffee, sweating soldiers, man versus nature. Got it? Yeah. Okay, Chief. Great. Now get going. You've got 15 minutes to get there. <laughs> In ten minutes, I was driving through Greendale, a low, flat, flimsy town with nothing between it and the Columbia River but a levee. Flournoy was right. The levee gave way. Greendale would go down the drain like wet cornflakes. I hit 60 on Willamette Avenue, heading toward the 7th Street levee. That's when I passed Marilyn's apartment. And that's what started me thinking again about Marilyn. She was beautiful. She was a two-timer. And she was the one human being on this earth I wanted to kill. I'd promised myself weeks before that I'd get her out of my mind, that hate was no good for anyone, but she kept coming back. That vicious, heartless laugh of hers. The brittle voice. The way her eyes could smile at you while she drove a French heel into your stomach. Joe Kennecott, Oregon Times. Reporter, huh? Okay. How's it look? Uh, you can see for yourself. Look at that river boil down there. Yeah. Levees like a hunk of Swiss cheese. Hey, over there. Pull the truck around. Oh, no, to the left, man. It was a weird scene. 
Men, trucks, equipment, fighting the river in the glare of those gas lamps. Heaving sandbags, pouring gravel, trying to save a town they all knew was doomed. My eyes took it all in. My pencil was making notes, but my mind was on Marilyn. Wondering if she was back in that apartment in Greendale, hoping she was asleep. That somehow she'd get washed out to sea with the rest of the rubbish. Then suddenly, everything stopped still. My pencil stopped writing. My eyes shut out the scene in front of me. It was so simple. I could kill Marilyn. The river would cover for me. Hold it, fellas! Uh, there's no use punching any longer. We're licked. She'll break through any minute. Pull the equipment out. Evacuate. That's an order. You, uh, Kennecott. Yeah, Major. Take your car and beat it down to Greendale. Tell them they've got five minutes to get to high ground. Understand? Yes. They say all murderers are crazy. Maybe they're right. All I know is that I hit 70 on the river road down to Greendale hoping against hope that Marilyn would still be in that apartment so I could kill her before the flood came. Marilyn! Marilyn! Joe! Joe, what are you... There's a flood on the way, baby. Yeah, it came over the radio. I was just throwing a few things together to take with me. You're wasting your time. What do you mean, Joe? Hey, what are you going to do with that lamp? You aren't going, baby. Now, look, honey, don't be silly. I'm not going to lug that lamp out of here. You aren't going anywhere. No, no, you're not. Joe. Hey, well, wait a minute. You're crazy. Joe! Help! Help! <laughs> no. I looked down at her for a minute and set the lamp back on the table. I began to feel dizzy. The floor seemed to be swaying underneath my feet. I wasn't faint. Just uh, dizzy. The door was open. Then I watched it close. Then open again. I, I wasn't dizzy at all. The building was swaying. The flood had come. I ran into the hall. Right smack into a guy. Little pasty-faced uh, guy standing oh, right outside hey, the door. Hey, Look, mister, let me out of here. No, you I, don't. You can't stop me. Now, wait a minute. Let go of me, here. Let go. No use yelling for help. Come on. Now, no one's good. Let go of me. Hey. I got ah. him. I got him. I tackled him at the end of the stairs. We went down together to the bottom end over end. I knew he'd seen it. I knew I had to kill him, too. But I was dead right now. The main door was open. Water pouring in. Foot deep in the lobby. Don't. Please don't. Let me go. Too late, Let me pal. Go. Let me go. The water. I can't. Don't. Let me go. No, no. Too Let me bad, go. mister. Murder's a solo job. A solo job. Door. Now. Oh. Help. Someone. Help. Help. I hit my head on the door. It was all the chance he needed. He scrambled outside into the flood. Took off down the street with me after him. The water was two feet deep now, and the buildings were beginning to move. Help! Help! I was gaining on him. Thirty feet. Twenty. Then... The telephone pole went down between us. I saw the broken wire graze him. There was a crackle of flame, and he went down. So I stopped worrying about him. Started thinking about me. The main force of the flood must have hit it at that moment. Suddenly, everything was water. I was tossed down like a peanut shell in a typhoon. I remember reaching out for something solid, finding it, and then nothing. Just relax now. You're all right. Uh... All right. 
Oh, where am I? In the hospital. What? What happened? <laughs> You're a lucky man. They picked you up right in the middle of it. Had quite a time making you let go of that telephone pole, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, Telephone pole. Nothing wrong with you but a few bad bruises and shock. Uh, Doris, uh, give me a hand with this patient, will you? Yes, doctor. Just take it easy now. Everything's all right. Yeah. Everything's all right. I don't know how long I slept. One hour. Maybe six, but... It was still dark when I suddenly found myself awake in a cold sweat listening. The floor. That's where she was. On the floor. Dead. The flood? Not the flood officer. Murder. It was murder. No. No. He saw me. He saw me. Fight. Terrible fight. Tried to kill me. Water. Water all over. The flood. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. By now, I knew his voice. They must have picked us up together, put us in the same hospital room. A thousand crazy thoughts hit me all at once. Kill him right there. Jump out the window, run. Anything but face it when he woke up. I started to get out of bed and then stop. There was someone else in the room. Uh, what do you make of it, nurse? I don't know, doctor. Well, the man's had a terrible shock, of course. It's amazing he wasn't killed. Yes, I know. He's been going on like that for an hour. The same thing over and over. Murder. Something about the, the flood covering it up. Then a fight. Hmm. Well, maybe you're right. I think we'd better at least pass it on to the police. Uh, still, uh, might be the result of shock, of course. The fact that he repeats it over and over, detail for detail. With death staring in the face like that, you don't stop to think about consequences. The explanations could come later. I had to get out of that room right now. I fumbled in the dark for my clothes, threw them on, stepped out into the hall. Uh, Paul Revere, <gasps> where do you think you're going, little man? Oh, Floroy, I, uh, I get tired of sitting around here. I thought you might need some help. Oh, you thought I might need some help, eh? <laughs> Nurse? Yes, Mr. Flournoy? Your number one patient's about to blow the joint. Oh, look, Chief, I... Joe, leave it to me, will you? So, you're a hero. So you drive like mad to warn the town and get caught in the flood. You don't have to go overboard. Mr. Flournoy's been pacing the hall like an expectant father. Well, uh... uh, uh, Thanks, Chief. I am not going to lose my best reporter because he's too dumb to know when he ought to stay in bed. Because that, sweetheart, is just where you're going. Uh, Look, Chief... Hey, don't butt in. You've been through hell tonight. You're lucky you're alive. Now, get in that room and get back to bed. The doctor's ought a hypo to make you sleep. Uh, nurse. Yes, sir. Just to make sure he doesn't get any more wild ideas, give me his clothes. I was licked. And I knew it. They hustled me back to bed. And the nurse poked a needle into my arm. And I let go. I let the dark close in on me. Not caring now. I was tired. So tired. Well, good morning, Mr. Kennicott. Hmm? Oh, (laughs) about time you woke up. It's almost ten o'clock. It's ten. How about some breakfast? Oh no, 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 no breakfast, nurse. I. uh... Oh, looking for your roommate? He's still asleep. We put the screen around his bed to cut down the light a little. Oh, I see. Well, Mr. I Willis can't. is waking up, too. Uh, I'd better have a look. Oh, wait a minute. Yes? No. No use disturbing, Mr. Willis. Uh, let me get dressed and uh, get out of here first. Only take me a minute. Huh? Nurse. Well, I'd better get rid of that screen. Yes, nurse. Mr. Willis. Well, how are you feeling this morning? Better, thanks. I saw her start get for the, the screen. screen. out of our way. Turned away just in time. Yeah. My stomach was ah, tied in knots, knowing it could happen any minute I, now. I don't know. Any minute, Mr. Willis would point the I'm finger really at me and say, hungry. there's the man. Mr. Kennicott. Yeah, yeah. This is Mr. Willis. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Willis. How do you do? Mr. Willis had a little flood trouble, too. Nurse... Those bandages on his head. Here, now, take it easy. Electric shock. 
He's blind. I know now how that guy in Louisiana felt when they sat him in the electric chair and the switch didn't work. Willis, the guy who saw me standing over Marilyn's body just before the flood hit, was blind from that jolt of electricity he got when the pole fell. I, uh, I took my time now, waiting for the strength to come back to my knees. I dressed carefully and left. Flournoy was waiting for me in the hospital lobby. There's someone with him. This is Lieutenant Belshaw of Homicide, Joe Kennicott. I heard about you, Joe. Nice work. Thanks. Uh, homicide? Yeah. We got a murder on our hands. Or the lieutenant has a murder. We got a story, a great one. What's that? Conspiracy. Huh? Oh, now, wait a minute, Florida. Oh, no, no, that's right. Conspiracy to commit murder. A partnership. We know who one of the partners is already. Yeah, who? The Columbia River. The cover-up. Accessory after the fact. I, I don't get it. Flournoy is trying to say we picked up a woman's body this morning. Knocked around pretty badly. No identification yet. He thinks she was murdered. I don't. You still think Willis is making it up? The guy took 220 volts with the water up to his knees. His head's still spinning. He's not responsible for what he says. Willis? The little guy up in your room upstairs. Uh... Did you hear him say anything in his sleep last night, Joe? No, uh, I, uh, I I don't remember much, of course, but... Uh, sure, uh, sure. I still don't get it. Well, come on, I'll tell you about it on the way up. We're going to have a little talk with Mr. Willis right now. Gentlemen, I can't remember now. I don't know what happened. It's all very confusing. You've got to try, Willis. Now look, Chief, the guy's sick. I he don't and... know about that. What do you mean, Lieutenant? Willis, you've had a pretty rough ride during the past 18 hours. I know that. I want to make it as easy for you as I can. Well, then please go away, will you? Sure. After you level with us. Ten minutes ago, I was willing to write this thing off as a flood death. Now, I'm not so sure. Listen, Lieutenant, I told You've you You've got what... to understand one thing, Willis. If it's murder, one thing can lick us. Time. We've got to move now. So let's go over it again. Pete, say, Florida, come here. here. Describe the series of facts. The guy's off his base. Can't you see that? I don't think so. Well, all you have to do is look. Oh, sure, he's shaken up, but, but there's something else. He's scared. You had a fight with someone. Fell downstairs, almost drowned. I told you I was dreaming. You don't dream the same thing over but... and over for an hour and 20 minutes without a reason. We picked a, picked a woman, woman's body out of the wreckage this morning. She could have been murdered. She could have lived in that apartment on Willamette Avenue. Who, who was she? We don't know. There's nothing to identify her. Now, Willis, I asked for a straight story when I got here. I haven't got it yet. If I don't get it, I might jump to the standard conclusion. What? what what's that? That you murdered her. But, but that's that, that, that's not it at all. Uh, a man did it. I, I saw him. That's more like it. He, he, he tried to kill me, too. He'll, he'll try again if now he gets forget the chance. That. Just give us the story. <clears throat> well, I, I ran into the building because I thought I heard someone call for help. Uh, a woman. The water must have come when I... Got to the second floor hallway because the building started to sway, sort of, and the doors flew open. I saw him standing there. She was dead on the floor. Yeah? That's when he came after me. Tried to kill me. We, we rolled down the stairs to the bottom and he hit his head on the door. And you broke loose? Yes. I, I, I don't remember anything after that. That's all, huh? That's enough. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Willis, uh... What did this man look like? Oh, uh, dark hair, about six feet, I guess. Medium build. About uh, your size, Joe. Yeah. Do you think you could identify him? I mean, that is, if you could... If, if I could see him, yes, yes, I, I could identify him. Now, please, please let me rest. I'm not... Sure. Very well. Thanks, Willis. That's what we came for. We'll get back to you when you feel better. 
What about his eyes? Well, the doctor says it's temporary, due to shock. He might get his sight back any time. Any time, huh? Yeah. Well, Joe, how was that for a story? Oh, it's a great one, Chief. It's a great one. I wanted to scream it in his ear right then. Tell him the other half of it. That this was the craziest setup he'd run into if he'd lived a thousand years. Yeah. How's that for a story, Flournoy? Right here in your office. The guy you're I talking to. Joe. Good yeah, old Joe Kennicott, the boy wonder. You know, it's also the murderer the you're looking for. Human drama, study in psychology. Here's a law-abiding guy. We don't know who he is. Maybe a bookkeeper, maybe a drug clerk, anyone. He goes to the line, cuts his lawn on Sunday, turns his paycheck over to his wife, obeys traffic signals. You know, the flood comes. Willis had Big me. cover up. And no I know law. it. Nothing. I run out now. He's had up a second. Something else. So I had no to stop Willis, too, before he opened his eyes. And that wasn't exactly cinch. Material witness, probably a cop, watching him every second, waiting for those bandages to come off so he they could hustle him over to police headquarters so he could put the finger on me. It was 11 that night. Just 23 hours after I killed Marilyn that Flournoy rushed into my office. Joe, get your coat. Huh? We're meeting Bellshaw at the hospital. Mr. Willis just came out of it. He can see. To Flournoy, it was a wild ride through the rain to the hospital. To me, it was a procession. From condemned row to the gas chamber. And there was no way out. No way out. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Lieutenant. Flournoy. Kennicott. He got here in a hurry. Let's go up. You better wait here. They're bringing him down. Gonna take him over to headquarters. Oh, there he comes now. Just got out of the elevator. Uh, Lieutenant, wait a minute before you go. What is it? About this guy, Willis. Lieutenant, there's something I want to tell you. Uh... Oh, Lieutenant. Uh, Kelly. The main levy starting to go. Hold the parts is ordered there immediately. The main levy? Holy cow, she'll take the whole north end of town. All right, Kelly. Well, let me go with him. No, I'm at bat this time, kid. I'll go with the lieutenant. You take care of Mr. Willis. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take care of Mr. Willis. <laughs> I turned the collar of my overcoat up. Kept my face away from him as I bundled him into the car, the back seat, of course. Hoping he wouldn't spot me until I got him away from there. Alone. Just stay on North 2nd Street a ways, Mr. Uh, Kennicott. Yeah, Mr. Kennicott. I guess it's best you take me home under the circumstances. You, uh... Live in the North End? Yes. Good. It was the kind of luck you can have only once. Yeah. A split second before the axe fell. Just as I was about to lay it in the lieutenant's lap, the river saved me. And it would save me again. He lived in the North End, right where the second flood would hit when the main levee went. He wouldn't get away this time because I'd made sure. And no matter what the question was, I had the answer. Willis lived in the North End. I was driving him home. We hit a deserted section, manufacturing district. It was dark, blinding rain. Just right. Then... Stop the car, Mr. Kennicott. Huh? I said stop the car. What's the idea, Willis? What, what Shut you... up. Now get out. Hey, look, wait, wait a minute. Did you hear what I said? This is a 38, Kennicott. I'll let you have it, so help me. Hey. But look, look, I... You made a bad mistake, Kennicott. Mistake? That woman they found this morning. They'll never identify her. I made certain of that. She's my dear departed wife. Willis, you... 
You mean you... You know I killed her, Kennicott. You saw it when the door flew open. Wait! Wait a minute, Willis. Thought it'd make a nice piece of blackmail, didn't you? That's why you didn't identify me. But you made a mistake. I'd never hold still for blackmail. You... You knew I was in the other bed at the hospital. Sure. I faked the blindness. Tried to get something over my face before you woke up. Okay, Kennicott. Now, listen to me, Willis. I didn't see your wife. I didn't know you murdered her. I thought it was you who saw me when... Give me that gun. Give it to me. Let go. Let me go, will you? That's it. I got the gun. You will shoot me, will you? No. No, Kennicott. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. That takes care of you, Willis. something, Flournoy. A lot of us could kill. Something, something like the Columbia River washed the law away. It wasn't such a coincidence after all. Two guys, same town, same apartment house. Two women, they hated enough to kill. I'm... I'm sorry for you, Joe. Skip the sympathy, Chief. I know I'm gonna die. And so the curtain falls on Conspiracy, which was chosen by guest expert Ursula Curtis. Miss Curtis is author of the newly published novel, The Second Sickle. And now, as host and narrator of Murder by Experts, it's my privilege to welcome and introduce to you Mr. Lawrence G. Blockman, Vice President of the Mystery Writers of America, an organization of nearly 300 of America's foremost writers of mystery and detective stories. Mr. Blockman. Thank you, Brett. Each year, the members of the Mystery Writers of America are called upon to vote for what, in their opinion, is the best radio mystery program of the year. To the winning program goes a statuette of Edgar Allan Poe, known as an Edgar, which is to mystery writers what an Oscar is to Hollywood. Five of the foremost radio mystery programs are voted upon by our members. The winner, by an overwhelming majority, was Murder by Experts. It gives me great pleasure, on behalf of the Mystery Writers of America, to present to Robert Arthur and David Cogan, the producer-directors the Edgar Allan Poe Award for the Best Radio Mystery Program of 1949. Mr. Cogan? Mr. Blockman, it makes me very happy to receive this tribute from the Mystery Writers of America. On behalf of Mr. Arthur and myself, I want to take this opportunity to thank those who made the winning of this award possible. The writers and actors who lent their talents to this program, our music director, Emerson Buckley, our arranger, Richard DuPage, Engineer Don Williamson, soundman Walter Shaver, our announcer Phil Tonkin, and a mutual broadcasting system. And two, I want to thank our many listeners for their thousands of kind letters. Tonight's play, Conspiracy, was written by Harold Swanton. In our cast were Lawson Zerby, Miriam Wolfe, Ronald Dawson, Frank Behrens, and Robert Donnelly. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. Phil Tonkin speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Look, Chuck. 
Wine brings you the casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to the adventure of the Beeswax Candle, another exciting story from the casebook of Gregory Hood. I hope you're sitting back in a comfortable chair after a good dinner. Did you try my suggestion to start that dinner with a glass of Petri California Sherry? Petri Sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. When you pour yourself a glass of that Petri Sherry, just look at the color. A beautiful deep amber. Then hold that glass of Petri Sherry up to the light. Notice how clear Petri Sherry is. Just as clear as crystal. That, you know, is one sure sign of a good sherry. But only when you put that glass to your lips do you really know how good Petri Sherry is. It has a flavor that comes right from the heart of luscious, sun-ripened grapes. Oh, and say, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, Petri makes a fine dry sherry. It's called Petri Pale Dry. If you don't know which you prefer, the regular or the dry, why not try both? Don't buy one, buy two. But just be sure you always buy Petri. Monday night in San Francisco, and we have a weekly date with Gregory Hood and his friend Sanderson Taylor. Tonight's rendezvous is at one of this city's favorite and most colorful meeting places, the top of the Mark Hopkins Hotel. Let's join them there, shall we? Harry Bartell, how are you? Evening, Mr. Taylor. Hello, Gregory. Hello, Harry. Come and sit down. We were just discussing a story. It's really Sanders' story, so I'll let him set the stage for us. And um, go ahead, Sandy. Well, Harry, though it's an adventure that happened last January, it's as vivid in my memory as if it had taken place yesterday. It all began one evening when Mary and I were driving home from a party in the Berkeley Hills. Mary, for your edification, Harry, being what Earl Wilson would refer to as Sandy's B.W. B.W.? Beautiful wife. <laughs> I get it. Go on, Sandy. We were driving the Packard convertible, but even with fog lights, we could barely see the white line in the middle of the road. Everything was a grayish blankness. And though it was only a couple of miles from the party to our home, we managed, among the twistings of all those unaccountable streets in the hills, to get completely and utterly lost. I didn't dare drive beyond the pace of a somewhat depressed and anemic snail, and as we crawled along, I prayed that the white line would lead us somewhere from Sandy, this fog's rather exciting, isn't it? It doesn't make driving exciting, Mary. I can hardly see the white line. I'm afraid we're lost, darling. Like a dream world. The kind of night when anything could happen. A night for adventure. You sound like Gregory. All I want is home and bed. Well, that's nice, too. But tonight I think it's rather gay and romantic to be lost with you in the hills. Hmm, after seven years of marriage, darling, that's very flattering. Listen to that man playing the clarinet. Isn't it good? Oh, excellent. I wonder who lives around here that plays like that. Sounds like a professional. Darn it, even the streetlights are off. Oh, power failure, I guess. Hmm, my, but it's quiet. The sort of night that... The devil's that? Somebody's in trouble. Stop the car, Sandy. But, darling, it's the middle of the night. We can't see a hand in front of us. Stop the car, Sandy. That sounded like a woman screaming. Come on, Sandy. It came from this direction. Well, wait for me, Mary. Wait for me, darling. Where are you? Mary! 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 Who is it? What do you want? I've lost my wife in this fog. I thought she might have come here. She ain't come here. I'm not surprised you lost her. Why don't you keep these hours of electricians both sleep? 
I've lost my wife in this fog. She didn't come here, did she? No, mister. How'd you lose her? I'd like to learn the trick. Look, I have no time to joke. Do you have a phone? Nope. Still hoping for one, though. Well, uh, how about the house next door? Mrs. McIntosh lives there. She's got a phone. Thank you. You're welcome. Why, you poor man. Of course you can use my telephone. It's over there. Thank you so much, Mrs. McIntosh. This is no night for a young girl to be running around by herself. You had a quarrel, of course. No, we didn't, Mrs. McIntosh. Oh, of course you did. I know how these things happen. When I was a young thing, I used to be mighty headstrong myself. But I assure you... Uh, police headquarters, please. Uh, Mrs. McIntosh, we heard a scream as we were calling along. I stopped the car and... Police headquarters, Lieutenant King speaking. Oh, this is Sanderson Taylor. I'm up in the Berkeley Hills, and my wife just jumped out of my car and disappeared in this fog. What happened, Mr. Taylor? Did you have a spat? No, we didn't, Lieutenant. As we were driving along, we heard a scream. I stopped the car, my wife jumped out, and... and just disappeared. Okay, I'll be over in a patrol car. Oh, uh, where are you? Uh, oh, just a moment. Uh, what's the address here, please? 114 Ogden Drive. Uh, 114 Ogden Drive. I'll make it as fast as I can in this fog. I'll be waiting for you. And now I'll make you a nice, strong cup of tea. And then you can tell me what you quarreled about. Mr. Taylor, we've been in every house on this street, and there's no trace of your wife. But Lieutenant King, she... She can't just have disappeared. Well, looks as if she has. You're sure you didn't have a row with her and she hopped out on you? How many times do I have to tell you that we didn't have a row? Okay, okay. Look, Mr. Taylor, it's nearly four in the morning. I suggest you drive to your home. The fog's lifting a little now. Oh, but Lieutenant... If your wife does get near a phone, she'll be bound to call you or Yes, but us. if we... Now, just take it easy, Mr. Taylor. I'll bet she'll turn up before morning. Good morning. Gregory Hood, importers. This is Sanderson Taylor. Hello, Mr. Taylor. Is Mr. Hood there? He just left. Oh, Lord, I've been calling him all night. Do you know where he went? Yes, Mr. Taylor. He's down at the dock supervising the unloading of a cargo. Do you know the name of the boat or the pier number? I don't know the name of the boat. But I think he said Pier Number 16. Pier 16, okay. If he should call you, tell him I'm driving over there right away. And that's what happened, Gregory. We couldn't find any trace of it. Gosh, Sandy, I wish I'd been home. I flew my plane down to Del Monte last night. Came back early this morning. Oh, I must have called you 40 times during the night. I've been absolutely frantic. I have a hunch it's all right, Sandy, but let's step ashore and get to a phone. I've got an idea. Oh, Lundborg. Yes, Mr. Wood. You take over the unloading. Okay, Mr. Wood. Be very careful with that Peruvian consignment. I've got a special client lined up for those Inca headdresses. Right you are, Mr. Wood. Right. Come on, Sandy. Now, let me get this quite straight. You checked at all the houses near where Mary got out of the car? Yes, as far as we know. As I told the police, though, it was hard to spot the exact area. We were completely lost in that darn fog. Then your only real clue as to your location was that guy who was playing the clarinet just before you heard the scream. Yes. You say he was a good player? Oh, top-notch. I remember that Mary said he sounded like a professional. Then that's our only lead, huh? Oh, here's a phone booth. Do you have a nickel, Sandy? Sure. Who are you calling? Harry James is at the St. Francis. He may be able to help us. Oh, you mean he might know who the clarinetist is? Sure. If he's really good, Harry will know him. Uh, Mr. Harry James, please. Oh, it's a slim chance, Gregory. True, true, but it's worth trying. Oh, uh, Harry? This is Greg Hood. I know, I know I must sound like the crack of dawn. I'm sorry. Yes, I I'm in a jam. Perhaps you can help me. Well, my best friend's wife disappeared in a fog in the Berkeley Hills last night. The last time she was seen, somebody was playing a mighty sweet clarinet quite nearby. I thought you might know if there are any really good clarinet players living in Berkeley. You do? Yes, I will. N name of Bill Cooper, huh? You have his address, Harry. We're in luck, Sandy. Oh, he knows the clarinet player in Berkeley. Yes, he's looking up his address. Oh, uh, yes, yes, Harry? His address is 109 Martin Way. Much obliged to you, Harry. Yes, I'll call you later. We might have dinner together. Uh, so long, and thanks a lot. 
You have your car here, Sandy? Sure. Good. Then let's head out across the bridge and pay a visit to Bill Cooper, the sweet clarinet player. house, all right. Does it strike a responsive chord, Sandy? Well, it's hard to say in the daytime, but this street leads off Ogden Drive, and that's where I ended up last night in the fog. Mm. I hope that Bill Cooper can help us. Yeah, so do I. Yeah? I uh, heard your sweet clarinet, and I just couldn't resist dropping by. Huh. You a musician? I play around with the piano a little uh, in an amateur way. Well, come in, come in. Thank you. I'm Bill Cooper. My name's Gregory Hood, and this is my friend Sanderson Taylor. All right, Mr. Taylor. Oh, I see you have a piano in here. Maybe we could try a little jam session sometime. Yeah, maybe. Uh, are you a professional, Mr. Cooper? Oh, no, no. It's uh, just my hobby. I'm a teacher of judo. That's an interesting combination. You know, bet it is. Judo is great stuff, you know. It gives you a feeling of power. Oh. Look, Bill, I-, I hope you can help me. Last night around 12.30, my wife and I were driving near here. We heard you playing the clarinet. Yeah, that's right. I was playing at that time. And suddenly, we heard a weird scream. My wife jumped out of the car to investigate, and I haven't seen her since. I'm absolutely frantic. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, uh, What can I do to help you? Well, did you hear that scream, Bill? You'd stopped playing a few seconds before. About uh, 12.30, you say? Yeah. Say, I do remember hearing a kind of squawk. I thought it must be the radio over the professor's. It certainly came from that direction. The professor? Yeah, Professor Meyer. He lives across the street at 112. Then let's pay him a visit, Sandy. I'm much obliged to you, Bill. Well, that's okay, Mr. Hood. And uh, when you straighten out on your mix-up there, why, come back and hit that keyboard. We might knock out a couple of hot licks together. Mr. Gregory Hood, though. I am glad that at last you have come to investigate the house next door. And why should I investigate it, Professor Meyer? It's a house of mystery. Strange things happen there. Things I I do not understand. Lies and noises. And last night, when I am in bed, I think I hear a scream. You don't mean the house across the street, do you, Professor? Where Bill Cooper, the clarinet player, lives? No, no. I mean the house next to me. It's supposed to be empty. An empty house in this day and age? That's a phenomenon. I understand in some way it is tied up in a, uh, a state settlement, Mr. Hood. It cannot be sold until the ownership is decided. Professor Meyer, why do you say the house is supposed to be empty? No one lives there, Mr. Hood, but many times I've seen lights and movement there. I do not like it. And one night I think I hear... No, 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 it is impossible. We'll check with you later, Professor. Come on, Sandy. Right now we'll take a look at an empty house that screams. <laughs> Looks deserted, Gregory. Yes, it does, Sandy. Front door's locked, huh? Yes, yes, but the lock's old-fashioned. I think the skeleton key will do the trick. I suppose I'm condoning a burglary, Gregory. I don't think they'll send us up the river on this one. Ah, open sesame. Come on, Sandy. Gregory, I'm scared. Supposing Take Mary... it easy, Sandy. Well, the house is unfurnished, and yet... Gregory! What is it? Footprints in the dust. A woman's footprints. Leading into the front room. Come on. Look, lying by the fireplace. It's Mary! Mary! Mary, darling! It's all right, Sandy. She's breathing. She must have been drugged. I'll run back to Professor Myers and call the police and get them to send an ambulance. Do that, Sandy, though. Before you go, I suggest you take a look by the window there. Bearded man lying on the floor. He's unconscious, too. Uh-uh. If you look closer, you'll see that he's wearing a knife in the breast pocket. A knife that's in up to the hilt. Sandy, I'm afraid we are now mixed up in murder. You'll hear the rest of tonight's story from the casebook of Gregory Hood and Good Dinner tell you how to make a good dinner really great. Just serve that good dinner with a good Petri dinner wine. If you're having hamburger steak, chops, stew, in fact, any meat or meat dish, by all means serve it with Petri California Burgundy. 
Petri Burgundy is a hearty red wine with a marvelous flavor. Now, if you're having fish or chicken, try serving it with Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a delicately flavored, subtle white wine. It's just perfect. And whether you serve Petri Burgundy or Petri Sauterne, or both, remember you can serve them proudly, because Petri is the proudest name in the long history of fine wine. Well, Gregory, again, you left me cliffhanging. What happened next? That's an easy one, Harry. Sandy sent for the police and an ambulance while I stayed in that deserted house. As soon as the ambulance arrived, we rushed off to the hospital with poor Mary and paced the corridor anxiously while the doctor was examined. Why the devil doesn't he let me see her, Gregory? Easy, easy, Sandy. By the way, did the face of that bearded corpse strike a responsive chord in you? No, I've never seen the fellow before. I think I know him. The beard threw me at first. It must be recent. But I'm certain he's a refugee named George Renault. Mr. Taylor. Oh, doctor, is she going to be all right? Yes, Mr. Taylor. She's going to be all right. Oh, can I see her? For a moment, yes. Uh, but no longer. She's exhausted. Mary. Mary, darling. Oh, hello, Sandy, dear. Hello, Greg. How do you feel, Mary? Awful. Rather as if I'd been trying to rumble with a hurricane. Oh, you poor darling. Oh, don't worry, Sandy, dear. I'm really quite all right. The doctor says I'm suffering from shock, that's all. Uh, what happened, Mary? Last night, I mean. I don't really know, Greg. I, I ran down the street, turned the corner, and saw a light in the house. The only one that did have a light. The door was open. I walked in and... Suddenly, something hit me on the back of the head. And that's all I knew until just now. Oh, Mary. Except that squadrons and squadrons of twin-motored butterflies have been buzzing through my brain. Squadrons of them. Uh, she's asleep, Gregory. Thank the Lord she's safe. Yes, we'll come back later. Mr. Taylor. Oh, hello, Lieutenant King. Uh, this is Gregory Hood. Oh, how do you how do, you do, do Lieutenant? The uh, doctor tells me your wife will have to stay in the hospital a couple of days. I guess so. I wish I could take her home right now. Well, I'm not at all sure you'll be able to do that when she's well, Mr. Taylor. Hmm? Oh, what are you driving at, Lieutenant? I may have to book her on suspicion of murder, Mr. Hood. Suspicion? Oh, Lieutenant, are you crazy? No, no, but your wife may be. We found her fingerprints on the dagger that was sticking in the dead man's chest. But the blow on her head, Lieutenant. She was knocked cold by a blow on the back of the head. Uh, that's her story, Mr. Hood. But I just talked to the doctor. He tells me there's absolutely no evidence of her having had a blow on the head at all. back again, my friend, Mr. Cummings. Thank you, Professor Meyer. What, uh, what did you find out at the house of mystery, Mayor? Quite a number of things, Professor, including my wife and the corpse. Your wife and the corpse? I knew it. It is a house of evil. I also found this book, Professor Meyer. It was lying under Mrs. Taylor's unconscious body. I thought it would interest you. This is a 16th century book. The house of the mirror of malevolence. This confirms my suspicion as to that house next door. This is a book. A book, a grimoire. What's a grimoire, Professor Meyer? I think Mr. Hood knows, don't you? I think so. It's a handbook of black magic. A collection of all the most evil and supposedly potent spells, isn't it? Correct, my friend. And this book, this mirror of malevolence, one of the most celebrated and horrible of all grimoire. As a scholar, Mr. Hood, I would beg you to give this book to the university library. As a man, I say, burn it. I can do neither at the moment, Professor. I must study it. Within these worm-eaten covers lies the answer to murder. It's driving me crazy sitting around the house without Mary being here. I know, I know. Did you call the hospital, Sandy? Yes, she's fine, but Lieutenant King's still in residence there. We've got to do something, Gregory. I'm doing my best. While you were driving the children over to your aunt's, I devoured the mirror of Malevole from cover to cover. And? I'm confused, Sandy. This, this case isn't pleasant. In fact, it's very messy. We're mixed up in black magic. 
black magic spells a nasty, vicious, evil mind at work. And it means even worse than that. Gregory, for Pete's sake, stop strumming on the piano. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, Sam. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to yell, Gregory. I know, Sandy. What did you mean just now when you said it was vicious and evil and, and worse than that? Well, I was thinking what the police might imagine if they realized this was a black magic case. If that scream you heard last night was not a death scream, but some part of the Tufi ritual. Supposing Mary wandered in and something happened. Well, Sandy, wouldn't it be possible that she killed him herself? Gregory, you can't believe that. I couldn't, but Lieutenant King could, and I wouldn't blame him. What we have to get is a confession. From whom? Oh, I know from whom, all right. It's a question of how. If only this darn book would... Sandy, I deserve to be kicked from here to Sacramento. What are you burbling about? I've got the answer. It's right here in the book. Let me see. Yes, yes. Here it is. Listen. I'm reading from page 96 of the Mirror of Malevoli. How you may make a murderer confess his crime. In a candle of pure beeswax, insert the cuttings of the nails of the dead man. Burn this in the presence of the murderer, and the spirit of the dead man will descend upon him and torment him until he do confess his murder. Gregory, I'm willing to ride along with you most times, but if you put any faith in that kind of stuff... Never mind that, Sandy. I think this is going to work. Get your nail clippers. Then we'll go out and find a nice white beeswax candle. After that, I'm planning on playing a hot duet with Bill Cooper, amateur clarinet player. I think we may smoke out a murderer. Glad you came back, Mr. Hood. Uh, what do you want to play? Well, let's add lib, Bill. We might start from here. It's a little number I whipped up a few weeks ago. All right. Are you all set, Sandy? Uh, yes, Gregory. I'm all set. Okay, Bill. Let's see where you can go on from here. All right. Smooth, Bill. And very much in the groove. And now, Gregory? Yes, Sandy. Now. Burning. A beeswax candle with George Renault's nail pairing stuck down it. Put it out. What's the matter, Bill? Put that candle out. Grab him, Sandy. I've got him. Put it out. Let go of me. Oh, no, Bill. We'll hold you so you can watch the candle burn. It's pretty, isn't it? You feel him now, don't you? The spirit of the murdered man has descended to torment you. Let me go, And you'll keep on tormenting you, Bill, as long as that candle burns. Get it out! Until you confess. Let me alone put out that candle, You killed George Renault, didn't you? No, no, I didn't put out that candle! It's going to burn, Bill. It's going to burn right down. Come on, Bill, why not admit it? You and Renault played at black magic, didn't you? No! Oh, yes, you did. You admitted before that you had a taste for power. You thought you could get it that way. I tell you, I finally didn't. you killed him because nothing could give you more power than human sacrifice. I didn't give him more than candle, please. You did, Bill, and when Mrs. Taylor walked in on the killing, you slugged her with one of those paralyzing blows that are peculiar to judo. It left no mark, and you planned to frame her for the killing. You put her fingerprints on the dagger. Oh, I said You're in for it, Bill. You can't escape. George Renault's murdered spirit has returned. It'll never leave you, never, unless you confess. We'll burn candles until you've forgotten what daylight looks like. Oh, no. Oh, stop. Let me run right to blow it, that candle. It's crazy, crazy. Blow it out, will you? Then I'll tell you everything. Mary, darling, how are you feeling? Oh, still a little woozy, Sandy, dear, but fine. And Gregory? Yes, dear? You were wonderful. Lieutenant King tells me that you saved me from a possible murder charge. <laughs> I think you understand how it was, Mr. Taylor. <laughs> Why should she, Lieutenant? Personally, I think you have a horrid mind. Uh, I'm just a guy who works on facts, Mr. Taylor. Uh, Mr. Hood got a nice, clear confession out of Cooper. He keeps saying the dead man tormented him. How'd you do it, Mr. Hood? By using a 400-year-old book. But, Gregory, you didn't really believe in that stuff. Of course not. It's pagan and horrible, but Bill Cooper believed in it. The only way magic ever appears to work is when the victim knows about it and believes in it. What made you think it was Cooper in the first place, Mr. Hood? For one thing, the fact that he'd been an instructor in judo. That would account for his being able to stun Mary without leaving any physical trace. But the real clincher was the scream last night. I don't get you, Gregory. Cooper said he thought it was the professor's radio. But there was a power failure in this area at the time. You told me, Sandy, that all the lights were off. Well, that's right, they were. Sure. If Cooper had been in his own house, 
He'd have been sitting in the dark, and he'd have known darn well that his neighbor's radio wasn't working. He lied flatly, and why should an innocent man do so? Because he was in the deserted house, lit only by candles and improvising on the clarinet. He didn't know about the power failure. But that didn't make a court case, and I had to scare him into a confession. Gregory, dear, you're a very remarkable man. Thank you, Mary. You're a very remarkable girl. I thank you for saving me from the gas chamber. Oh, think nothing of it, Mary. But I do. And I make you a promise. What is it, Mary? Whenever we have you to dinner from now on, I'll set the table with beeswax candles. Charming. Candles without fingernails. And for the main course, Gregory, we'll have twin-motored butterflies... That was some story. Uh, I didn't know you knew so much about uh, black magic. I'll let you in on a little secret, Harry. I don't know a thing about it. The only kind of magic I know is what my old father taught me. He did the most wonderful act of sawing a woman in half. But it never works with me. Uh, you mean uh, you couldn't master the trick, right? No, it requires lots of practice. Oh, and you couldn't find the time? No, I couldn't find the woman. Oh, no. But, Harry, you must know a few pretty good tricks yourself. No, not one, Greg. Now, come on, Harry. How is it every time I come to your house, you dish up such marvelous meals and you're no cook? Ah, <laughs> Greg, that's because of the Petri wine. Uh, didn't your old father ever tell you what a good dinner wine does for any meal? Mm, it all comes back to me now. <laughs> and you know Petri wine is good wine. Why, it's got to be. Look at the long years of skill and experience that goes into its making. The Petri family has been making wine for generations. Winemaking is their heritage. A heritage handed down from father to son, from father to son. So you can see why the Petri business has grown and grown, so that today the Petri family are America's largest independent winemakers. Yes, the making of Petri wine is a family affair, and the Petri family has every intention of keeping it just that. So you know the name Petri on a bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri wine is and always will be good wine. Well, Gregory, which particular page of the case book are you turning to for next week's story? Next week, Harry, I'm going to tell about an odd story that took place in Hollywood some months ago. It concerns a noted columnist, an extremely garrulous press agent, <coughs> pardon me, and a very dead actress. I call the adventure Murder in Celluloid. See you next Monday, Harry. You bet, Greg. And in the meantime, if you hear of any place for rent or sale, will you let me know? Don't tell me you're looking for a place to live. No, no, Harry. It's for a friend of mine, a veteran who just got back. Believe me, this housing shortage is really hitting the returning servicemen hard. And if anybody deserves the breaks, they do. I think it's up to us to do what we can to see that they get first chance at any vacancy. Remember, if you have a vacancy, rent it to a veteran. Good night. Book of Gregory Hood is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. Original music composed and played by Dean Fossler. Gail Gordon plays the part of Gregory Hood, and Sanderson Taylor is played by Art Gilmore. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The Casebook of Gregory Hood comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by The Casebook of Gregory Hood. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs>